Well, hello, I'm Nat Williams Guy for First Person Safety and back with episode two with Carl Wren. Uh, Carl, if you would take a minute to say hello and reintroduce yourself to everyone again. Well, for those just watching this episode, if you didn't watch episode one, I've uh, been on the firearms training business for 30 years. I own my own training facility in Central Texas, about an hour outside of Austin. And uh, relative to this episode, I uh, have been hosting other classes teaching my own classes and traveling as a trainer uh, for off and on for the last 20 to 30 years. I probably hosted my first course about 20 years ago and started teaching on the road about 10 or 15 years ago. All right. Uh, I asked Carl to come on because he shares those unique perspectives and that he, he operates his own facility. He hosts other instructors and then he travels as well. I've had the privilege of both hosting Carl at my place and traveling to Carl's place. So uh, I've got to see, and I've taken a class from Carl. So I've seen Carl from all three perspectives here, and he's one of the best in the business. And that's why I wanted his perspective here on this. Uh, one of the things I learned very quickly when I first started uh, teaching in the open enrollment circuit was that it was completely different than teaching in the law enforcement world. Because in the law enforcement world, your student body is also your workforce. If class is starting at eight in the morning, everyone shows up at eight, you have them go set up the range and then you start the class. And then you can have them put up targets all throughout the day and everything. Well, in the open enrollment world, that's just not the case. You are your workforce and then whatever assistance you have. And so, Carl, I'd just like you to, to touch on them kind of whichever order you want to go on. Uh, just important things that people need to know about being traveling instructors as well as if they want to start hosting people, and if they have their own facility in which to manage. Which would you like to talk about first? Uh, let's start with, with doing your own stuff at home, because okay. I think there's more people that do that than do the other two things. Sure. Uh, you know, here's the, the way that I operate, uh, and this is something that I think is unique to being a local instructor, is local instructors have the opportunity to know their students better, to communicate with them more before and after class and hopefully establish kind of an ongoing relationship. Uh, as I explained in the last episode, our program is built on a sequence of four hour classes that if you take all the pieces, you get about 40 hours of training. And then uh, you know, we bring in traveling trainers to go offer training beyond our program or in topics that aren't part of our program, like medical, uh, you know, legal stuff, that things like that, that, uh, but it, Look at your customer base as a local, not as a one and done business. Uh, we just passed constitutional carry here in Texas, and there's a lot of instructors who their entire program was built on one and done. Come take your carry permit class from me. I have nothing else to offer you. Send me your friends for another one and done class. So they have one course that they teach. They know how to do one thing. And now that the state isn't sending people to them for training, now they got nothing to offer. And so there's a bunch of folks that are saying, well, I'm just going to get out of the training business. And philosophically, I think that's what that tells me, to be brutally honest, is they were only in it for the money ever. And they weren't in it for the right reasons. You know, uh, the reason I got into it before there was a state carry permit program in place was that I wanted people to have the opportunity to learn and be better. And I wanted them to be well prepared for an actual incident, not to meet the state minimums. So, you know, I would say start with your business in that same mindset that if you actually want people to improve and you're not simply trying to make revenue from classes the state is forcing your students to attend uh, in the, uh, when I was working for DHS, we used to call them hostages, people that were told to go to training that day. They didn't want to be there. 
right? The private sector is all about people who chose with their money and their time and they selected you. They want to come to your class. They want to learn. They want to be there. So I think there is pressure to give them a lot for their money because they have choices. Now in the modern world, there's lots of choices and you know you need to give them the best that you've got. And every class has to be an A plus so that word of mouth grows your business because you know no matter how many social media followers you have, I will tell you still, nothing is better than positive word of mouth, friends telling friends, hey, come take a class from this person. They did a really good job at individual attention. And so I'm going to plug my book here for just a minute. Uh-huh. I, I plugged it in the last episode, but just in case you didn't watch the other episode, right? Here's the book, Strategies and Standards for Defensive Handgun Training. If you are an instructor, this book is very useful because it explains why most people don't get training beyond the, the state minimum and hopefully how you can motivate them to uh, come to training beyond the state minimum, how to make it attractive, interesting, and fun for them, which I think all those things are super important. So with regards to running a good program at home, you need helpers. You need, there's too many programs that are a single instructor that will do it. And I'm going to pick on my state carry permit people again, because they're the easy, easy target, right? That it's one person, they walk in, they read PowerPoint slides for four hours. It's time to go on the range. They got, you got one person on the firing line with eight, 10, 12, 15 people, right? And all you're doing is blowing the whistle and t- calling the drills. Well, you're not actually teaching anybody when you're doing that. Sorry. You know, uh, all you're doing is running the test. When we run classes, my goal is to have one assistant instructor for every four people that signed up. So if we have eight people in class, there's two teaching. If we have 12, we have three teaching. We have 16, we have four people teaching. And that is so that everyone gets eyes on, that students get individual attention, they get individual coaching. And maybe the most important thing, which relates to all three of the topics that that we're talking about, is if you have a student that is grossly out of sync with the rest of the program, they've shown up for a particular class and the gun doesn't work for them, they have no idea what they're doing, or they're way overqualified to be in the class, then if necessary, you can take that one of your assistant instructors and say, please go work with this student offline. Generally, it's because they're grossly underqualified for the course that they signed up for. That happens a lot with uh, traveling trainers and guest hosts. I do my very best to make sure that doesn't happen to people that I host. However, they have told me that that's happened to them many places. They show up for class and they've got 10 people in class, and one of them has really needs NRA basic pistol one, and they literally have no idea which of the gun to hang on to, but they're there to work on drawing from concealment to try to get to their one second from appendix carry concealment draw, you know, and they're trying to learn skills that are way beyond them, and they can't participate in class because they're a safety hazard. They're, they're not even close to being ready for that, right, and um, as a host hosting other trainers, that's if you're a local instructor that has your own program and you're hosting other trainers, part of your job as a course host is to make sure those people don't end up in class. Or if they really want to attend, it's your opportunity to make some extra money training them up to the level where they can attend because there is nothing worse than having a class. And I'm not going to mention the school, but many years ago, uh, my wife and I attended a class. There was 15 people in class. 13 of us were qualified to be there. Two were not. And at this very major $1,000 class school, um, 13 of us sat around while the class was taught down to the two people that needed NRA Basic 1. And it was a 
terrible waste of time for the rest of us. Yeah. And having had that experience as a paying customer, I vowed that I would never do that to anyone that came to me or my school or a class that I hosted. Uh, it wasn't fun for anyone except the two people that got basically private coaching. All right. Um, a friend of mine bought a range in, in Northeast Georgia, the name of it, Red Hill Range. And uh, when he bought it, he contacted me and said, you know, what advice can you give? And I said, well, the most important thing for going your range is to have working bathrooms. Oh, yes. Uh, what can you offer as far as advice, as far as if you're going to operate your facility, what are absolute must haves that must be present at your range and absolute um, must nots? Well, I mean, the things that we did when we built our place back in 2002, we spent a year looking for land. It needed to be not too far down off the major highways, no more than an hour from a major metro area. Uh, we insisted we had to have a classroom building with real air conditioning, not a window unit, not a trailer, no porta potties. My wife, being a longtime competition shooter, you know, her comment was if you want women to come to your classes, they need sanitary, sanitary indoor bathrooms in, with air conditioning and no scorpions, no snakes, no bugs, and no porta potties. Um, guys are happy to, you know, pee on the ground, but uh, ladies, that, that's really not a viable option for them. And the other thing is, if you're going to have classes where older people and people with limited mobility, then, for example, we built our place with three foot wide hallways, and I have had students in wheelchairs and walkers and canes with limited mobility that they can pull right up to the door of the classroom building, park at the disabled parking spot, right, get out and come in, and they can roll all the way out to the range. Um, so these places that are mud pits filled with rocks and mud and bugs, and uh, you need a four wheel drive vehicle to get in and out. And the classroom is an open field with a guy with a whiteboard. Um, you know, it's it's unprofessional in the modern era where there's country club indoor ranges that have, you know, concierge parking and a catered valet. And, uh, you know, in the modern era, you're competing against some of those places. So if you have an outdoor range, you need to have some amenities. You need to spend the money so that it's comfortable for people to come because there, you know, there are places to go that are more expensive that are more comfortable. And there are people that are only going to go to those places. And so uh, only the super, super gung-ho, you know, diehards are going to come out in the middle of the swamp in the rain and the mud and the gravel yeah. and, and going prone in the, you know, red ant hills and stuff like that. Uh, you got to pay attention to those things because it does matter. And honestly, yeah. I've gotten old enough now that uh, I'm, there's facilities like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. I've done my time there and not doing any more. Yeah, I definitely see that from, you know, the business side and from the student side is they want to be comfortable where they're going to teach. Now, sometimes it's just not an option. Uh, one of the ranges where I teach, the only option is a supported potty. I don't yeah. own the property. I right. can't make changes to it. And so right. I'm, I'm stuck with the, the facilities that are there. Um, when we built our place, we only built one bathroom. And when we host uh, big events, like we'll host Masad Ayub and we'll have 30 people in the classroom. I have to rent porta potties to increase the bathroom space uh, because we don't have we don't have a way to build. It's cheaper for me to rent porta potties twice a year than it is to build another major bathroom building. And so, you know, basically we give the ladies the priority in the nice bathroom and you know people that need the indoor bathroom and everybody else. You know, hey, if you can make do with the porta potties, then please do. But uh you know, I always rent them and I make sure they're clean and, the, and all that. So it's not just one that's been sitting out there all year because uh, those can get horribly awful. 
yeah, and they're not full of spider webs. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I first started traveling as a, as an instructor, I learned very quickly that I, I roll in, if it's an unknown host, I don't roll unless I'm completely self-contained. Absolutely. Which means I take everything absolutely necessary to teach my class. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to one where I, I talked with the host ahead of time. And I specified I need two target stands per shooter. And I think I had seven people signed up for the class. Mm-hmm. He's like, no problem. We got that covered. Uh, well, when I got to the range, there were four target stands. And I managed to build a couple of more out of pallets uh, yeah. that were in, in the trash heap and to get it up to one target. And then we had to split into relays to do some of the other things. Right. Uh, and then another range that I went to that they swore up and down to me that they had everything that I needed and they didn't and so i photographs yeah and so i got after that when if i if i've been to the host and i know that they've got what i need then i'm you know luckily to to travel i can say of the places that i have been to now this is not a you know an indefinite list because i haven't been everywhere uh i will roll to kr training and, and outside of Giddings, texas and trust that Carl Wren has what I need there to teach his class and probably got everything anybody needs there to teach a class. Uh, John Murphy's range uh, in Culpeper, Virginia, FPF. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bill Armstrong at Meat Hall outside of Oklahoma City has everything that you need. Doug Bain, who's now hosting a few classes in outside of Miamisburg, Ohio, he's completely squared away. Boom. And everybody else, trust but verify. The boondocks range in uh yeah boondocks yeah absolutely I'm drawing a blank uh jackson there, mississippi that's right yeah, yeah. fantastic facility yeah uh, i haven't traveled to the great extent that a lot of the other people have but it just struck me as how quickly you know of my third first three places that i rolled they, they didn't have what they said they had but it was the class right. and so i started I, the advice I would give traveling trainers is go to the place that you're going to be teaching the day before arrive early enough that if you have to go to home Depot and Lowe's and Walmart and, you know, be in your hotel room, making PVC target stands that night, definitely make sure you have that kind of time. Don't, don't fly in the morning, you know, midnight, the night before show up at the range 10 minutes before class is supposed to begin and deal with the problems then because that is guaranteed that's going to be a disaster yeah i know tom givens tells a story that he flew to minnesota to teach a class oh boy and gets out on the range the day before uh, and like where are the target stands like oh you're not bringing the target stands with you he's like i flew here from tennessee how did you expect me to get them here <laughs> right yeah it's kind of a saying that they had to build target stands so uh, what other advice would you offer for like the, the guy that's traveling that he needs to know or she needs to know uh, drop ship everything you can in advance. There's a number of trainers that fly in that have their packing list and they're like, send me your shipping address. Here's the orders that are coming and I'll get an order of targets and pasters and they'll, instead of trying to pack it in their car, they'll just order it and drop ship it to me. Right. right? So your host needs to be able to take delivery of stuff. Um, if you're really doing a good job with your local home program, you have loaner gear loaner holsters, loaner guns, loaner mag pouches, loaner belts, because if they're people that have never trained with you before, 
and they show up for a defensive pistol class in particular, they're going to not have what they need. They're going to get out of the car and they're going to have an Uncle Mike's holster or a Serpa holster, or they're not going to have enough magazines to get through the class. Ask a lot of questions about your students. Who did you take classes from before, right? And if you haven't heard of who that person is, you should look up their program and maybe even reach out to them and say, hey, one of your students, so-and-so is going to come take a class. And, you know, what exactly did they do with you, right? To have an idea of what you're getting into because um, it's, again, it's a problem if they don't have the appropriate equipment, right? I even have at my place, we don't do off-campus uh, off campus dining because it takes forever. Uh, generally, my advice when you host classes is don't let people leave the range for lunch because it's time waster. And I tell people, you know, eat good in the morning and plan on eating great for dinner, but, you know, get by with your peanut butter sandwich or your energy bar or whatever for lunch because you're here to learn. And if we skip lunch or not skip lunch, but if we do an in-house lunch, then you get done earlier and happy hour starts earlier for you. So, you know, I, I would tell them to discourage people from the off-campus lunch breaks. I think they're unproductive and there's always, you let people leave the range. There's always one bozo that, you know, goes someplace to get steak and lobster and is gone for two hours. And they, they well, I didn't know it was going to take that long. Well, yeah, yeah, it always takes that long, you know, stuff like yeah. that equipment, 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 making sure people have the prereqs, make sure they have the equipment, uh, make sure they pay in advance. If you're a course host, uh, people do not get slots in class unless they pay in full in advance. And you need to make the refund policy very clear to them in advance because you will get people that will call up the day before class. Oh, my mother's got a hangnail. I can't go. Can I get a refund? Well, that, you know, check with the person that you're hosting and ask them what their policy is. If, huh. if you needed six to make, and that person drops out, and now that person isn't making your minimum, you as the course host are often on the hook to pay their minimum because they got a plane ticket and a hotel, a rental car, or whatever it is, or they just need to pay their rent that much because they make their living teaching classes, right? And so if somebody bails out and you're, you, they need to understand, no, you can't bail out. You can give your slot to somebody else, sell it to a friend, but somebody's going to use that slot because it's too late. You know, if you cancel a month out, a month out before class, then, okay, maybe we can, maybe we can make it work, but uh, make sure everybody understands the refund policies. Otherwise people get upset and nothing is worse than negative reviews on the internet. People get angry about stuff and negative social media reviews are forever. And they always bubble up to the top of the search listings and more people are motivated to write bad reviews than they are to write good reviews. And so, uh, you know, you want to make the customers happy as you can, but you need to be clear with them on the front end. Okay, you're signing up. That right. means you need to pay in full in advance. And here's the refund policy. And here's the timeline. And here's the terms. Right. Right. So um, all those things from a business side are very important. Make sure that people have all the information they need before class day. Make sure they know where the range is. Make sure they understand how to navigate to get there. Make sure they understand that they need to show up at least 15 minutes before class start time, right? If it's a 9 a.m. start, that's not 9 a.m. frantically tires spitting gravel in the parking lot. 9 a.m. is my mags are loaded, my gear is on, and I'm sitting in the classroom ready for class to begin. Nothing irritates traveling trainers or any trainer uh, more than having to delay the start of class for 20 people because, you know, somebody is pulling into the, the parking lot at 8.55 and they don't have their mags loaded and they don't have their gear on. Yeah, I, you I tend like to, you've lived that. 
Yeah, I attended an event recently, and I asked one of the other attendees the day before. I said, what's the over and under on people we see frantically stuffing mags in the parking lot when they're being called to the firing line? Like You signed up for a shooting class knowing that you're coming to a shooting class. That entails having loaded magazines. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that the student needs to prepare for ahead of time. But it's also something that an instructor, uh, you need to be aware of. I, I, if I can throw one in here on my own, is that someone needs to be there meeting the students and controlling everything right from the start. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that I've seen some disaster almost occur because something is going on. You're down there trying to get the target set up. And all of a sudden you hear somebody racking a slide behind you. Oh, yes. And you turn around, okay, there, there needs to be somebody there that's taking control of people as they come in. I've in even got to program, the, we do a gear right. check. Every right. arriving student, we have a, right. a loading and handling safe area. And I always have one of my assistants mm-hmm. stationed there doing nothing but looking over people's shoulders. And what gun are you, what gun are you got? Can mm-hmm. you grip that? Can you reach the mag release? Can you rack the slide on that? You know, that sort of thing. Uh, we identify special needs people right up front. Oh, right. that holster is not going to work. You know, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, you got to have the Walmart greeter policy going on. It, that makes, was, life, it makes everybody's life better because right. even, right, the students, if you help them get set up properly for class, then they're not all stressed out. Right. right? If it's just, if it's just as simple as somebody greets them as they're getting out of the car, put your range back here don't handle any firearms until we bring everybody down on the line. The classroom's up there. You're welcome to go gather with the other students. Yep. And you can send people very detailed pre-class emails and guaranteed the problem students will not read them. Mm -hmm. They just blindly just show up and you can send it a week before class. You can tell them if you need a belt, buy it here. If you need a holster, buy it here. Here's the brand of holster we recommend. It's $35, you know, whatever you can, you can do everything short of showing up at their house a week before class to go through their gear and they won't right there's always going to be the training community calls it that guy there's that guy is always there he's always showing up at somebody's class Uh, let me say a few more things about hosting if you're a traveling if you're a uh, person that hosts traveling trainers strongest recommendation here's how i do my business Um, i do not host people that i have never trained with before so going to events like the Tactical Conference or Shooter Symposium or Guardian Nation or whatever, um, don't host someone that you only know from internet stuff. Because ultimately, if it's your hosting, it's your business reputation, right? It's your customers. Um, if you're hosting, then you want your hosting of that trainer to have value, your, your reputation, I only host the best, I only host professionals, I only host A-list people. So if you come to a class with me, you know, even if you've never heard of this person, that it's going to be a quality course. Um, be careful about that. I hosted someone early on in my hosting career who came recommended by other people that I trusted, or at least thought were giving me good recommendations. And this particular instructor gave us one day of quality carbine training and two days of political ranting and off-topic stories. And uh, people were not happy with the money they had invested and the amount of training that they got versus the amount of extraneous BS that they got. Uh, The other thing I would advise of is uh, check to make sure 
just because an instructor is quote unquote famous or well known uh, doesn't necessarily mean they have a good reputation with those that are highly skilled or that are regular customers of training. So because you've heard of someone and you've seen all their YouTube videos doesn't necessarily mean you're, they're going to attract the sort of people that you want coming to the classes. Um, there was a, a trainer recently that was uh, complaining because uh, he had basically, he, he was a YouTube type celebrity and was complaining that the people that showed up were grossly unqualified to be taking his course and were mainly there to take pictures and generate social media content for their own pages, simply wanting to be there and be around this person. Uh, they were a little frustrated with the quality of student. Well, if that's the kind of image and marketing that you have, then that is the kind of student that you might get, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, the other one is be aware that some instructors have baggage and if something happens during their class and you end up in court related to it, their bad history or controversial acts or other, other problems that might be associated with them, uh, now you have to deal with that and that's connected to you. I have never had that problem. However, uh, there are trainers that I won't host because of controversial statements or controversial life histories or a number of, of issues. And I know they have their fans. I'm not going to name anybody, but uh, I know they have their fans and their followers and their loyal fan bases. Um, that's fine. There's other people can host those trainers. I'm not going to risk my facility, my liability, and my brand reputation of my own training right. hosting someone that's controversial simply because I think they could fill a class better than someone that's less known that might be a more professional trainer. Um, so, you know, be aware, again, doing things purely for the money, particularly in the gun business can get you in trouble. And once you have a bad reputation, it's really hard to shake it, uh, really hard to lose it, uh, because in the center of it, the really serious training customers, um, they all talk to each other and they gossip and they, you know, go back and forth online. And um, you don't want to, you want to do everything you can to keep a good reputation as long as you can, because right. it's a really... Uh, difficult thing to undo once you have it that makes sense sure sure um you mentioned something earlier about you know contacting the instructor that you're hosting as far as finding out what their students will need in the class so i guess let me ask how much importance do you put on communication between both the instructor that you're bringing in between you and between them and the students that will be in their classes I run, okay, I'll let you in on a little secret. Yeah. So the way I do things, I handle all the registration. Why? Mm -hmm. Because I want the email addresses. Uh -huh. One of the reasons I host other trainers is there are people that won't train with me because I'm not famous enough, right? doesn't matter qualifications. They want to train with big name instructor that they've heard of on the internet. That's uh -huh. great. So, but when they come to my range to train with big name instructor, I want to get their email address so that I can follow up with my monthly emails and invite them to come take classes from me right. or other big name instructors that I'm hosting. Right. right. And so I don't like traveling trainers to handle their own registration. I think if you're right. a course host, it's in your best interest to handle the registration and the money because then you harvest that contact information for future clients, whether, whether right. you only host traveling trainers, whether you run your own class or have other events or whatever, um, it's in your best business interest to be the, the point of contact. 
and that makes it easier. Most of the traveling trainers are happy for you to do this. They just want to show up. They want a, a full class, a roster full of names, right? They want to make sure they have the right names on the certificates. They like to know that the students are there, that they're qualified to be in the course. They're not going to be a problem child and that everybody's paid for and you write them one check at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, it's much you know, simpler for everyone if the course host does those things. You know, I ran into some situations where I'm, when I, back when I hosted courses of student had questioned that actually needed to go to the instructor versus sure. the host, yeah. but the instructor wouldn't answer their email. And so now, now they're sending emails to me, you know, we're needing to know something about, you know, X, Y, D, Z defensive pistol class. And yeah, then I can't get back on the instructor. If they're unresponsive right. for more than 48 hours, right. uh, if you've texted and emailed and they're not answering, you know, they better have a pretty good reason for not responding. Right. That's, that's your job. If you're a traveling trainer, customer service, I mean, that's, that's, that's the job. Yeah. It got to be very frustrating in which, you know, I've got people that they're looking at me, holding me accountable because I am the close horse, excuse me, course host but i don't actually have a stake in the financial gain because you know the money's going to the instructor uh because i don't own the facility so i'm not getting the facility fees and everything else it was just i hosted the course as an opportunity to take the course basically yeah, as, a, and, as a performing musician i will tell you that booking yeah. agents get a fee right and that if you're doing if you're doing work right. to make the event a success then right. even if you don't own a facility if you're right. promoting it and you're collecting the money and the rosters and everything that yeah. probably should be worth a few dollars, you know, a ticketing yeah. service fee, right? Or whatever. Um, well, I was hosting them and I would get host spots and I was using it to use for my ah, agency, per use okay. it for my agency personnel. Got so it. I wasn't necessarily getting money. Got it. And I wasn't getting any financial reward, but I was getting reward because I got well, to put an employee in the class. Getting a slot is, yeah. I'm hosting one trainer coming up here later this right. month. Uh, that we did not make the minimum for me to get a free slot. So I'm right. actually paying for my slot. I'm right. getting paid for hosting the course. So I'll probably break close to even on it. Right. But, you know, in this case, uh, their terms were, we need this many students in class for you to get a free slot. Yeah. And we, we made, we got enough for the class to make, but not enough for me to get a free slot. And that's, that's just the way right. it goes. You know? Yeah. I just, you know, it just got to be very frustrating for me on that end, which there was, a lack of communication from the the person that was coming to teach the class and i felt like it put me in a bad spot yeah yeah well like it goes back to uh yeah. you need to know who it is that you're hosting right. and have some idea of what kind of person they are and again reputation is substantial uh networking is substantial right, right? there are right. uh there are people that are not as famous that are extremely good and easy to host who do great classes right. and you know most of the guys that have been doing this a long time, 20 or 30 years, generally they're pros and they're answer their emails and they know exactly, they'll tell you, this is exactly what I need. And they do exactly what they say they're going to do. And, you know, I've had very few bad experiences, but that's also, you know, because uh, uh, I've, I've been working on my end of it for 20 years. Oh. And also as, a, as on the other side, I've been fortunate, the people that have hosted me, I've had fantastic course hosts who have, uh, you know, we've been very clear about what was needed. Often, most of the people that host me are people that I've hosted and vice versa. So I do a lot of uh, trade swapping. Uh, I go to your place, you come to my place, because uh, 
but I do have a few people that host me that, that are not yet to the traveling trainer level. So, you know, I do a few classes on the road, things like that. Right. And uh, I try my very best to make it easy on them and don't have a lot of fancy requirements. And, uh, you know, like I said, come, I'm going to drive most of them. I had, to, I flew up to uh, Farms Academy in Seattle, but Marty had his own, had his own facility. He had more multiple shoot houses, had a fantastic facility that let me do some things up there that I have never been able to do anywhere else huh. running, you know, multiple days of force on force scenarios and all of his multiple shoot houses. That was a, a course that probably will never be able to rep- be replicated just about any place else ever, uh, which huh. was kind of fun and uh, might get to do that again at some point in the future. Now, to me, the biggest benefit of hosting classes is that I got to see a bunch of classes. Oh, yeah. Right. And, I, so as a developing friends. instructor, developing your own program and developing your own skills, how important can that be? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, as in my case, when I've got, you know, my own skills to develop and then I have my staff of people like this one class coming up that we're hosting in July, um, you know, eight of the 12 people taking the class are care training instructor staff and we're paying for the course out of our own pocket. Well, in reality, what happened with most of them is they worked for me in other classes and the money I would have paid them to work. I moved over to the tuition column and most of them basically uh, I'm paying for their slot, but they worked it off with hours spent on the range working. Right. So in the end they earned the money and they just never got the check. I just moved money around, but, um, but yeah, we, I mean, in my case, I've got enough people on staff. If everybody shows up for a course, we can practically fill any class with any trainer that we want to host just because I have a team of people that want to learn and get better. I mean, everybody in class, we try to get, you know, 16 to 32 hours of professional development every year for per person. And uh, for me, for a typical year, I get over 100 hours of training every year, which is how I got to the 3000 hour training mark just by hosting classes. It's really easy if I don't have to leave the house, you know, I step out the back door, walk down to the range and, and can get 16 hours of training just by by being there and participating in the class for a weekend. So yeah, that's helped. That's one reason why I have so many hours of training, much more than the typical person. Uh, but I've learned an awful lot. Like you said, uh, I know you're running an ex- instructor camp coming up to help people get to be better instructors. Well, one great way to learn how to be a better instructor is to see 10 different people teach defensive handgun one. Uh-huh. And you see all the different ways that they do it. And then you collect up all of the best things that you've seen other people do and all your best ideas. And then when you put your defensive handgun one class on, it's literally the greatest hits package from everyone you've ever trained with. And uh, theoretically that should make for an extremely good course. It's the collective wisdom of, you know, everything you've seen plus your own experiences. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I talked about in another episode was uh, Bloom's taxonomy. And that's, you know, one of the higher levels of learning is being able to analyze and synthesize and then create your own courses, you know, your right. own from the material that you've learned. And if all you've learned is from one source, then you're not really being able to learn how to analyze and decide what's best. But if you've seen, you know, 10 different takes on, you know, the, the basic defensive pistol one class, and you can look and say, okay, I like the way Carl taught this. I like the way Tom Givens taught that. I like the way Dave Spalding taught this. And you kind of take that all, put it all together in your own packaging and synthesize your own course out of that. That's kind of the higher level of learning. But you have to be, have experienced all those different sources to be able to reach that point. 
Well, and, and to be honest, I think the other thing that comes up sometimes, there was a, a question someone posted recently online asking about, well, if somebody just wants to come watch the class but not participate, how should I handle that? And it's like, well, you know, who is this person? Are they somebody that's going to come watch your class, take, you know, take video, post video on the internet against, without your permission, you know, copy down your lesson plan and write down all your drills. And next week after you leave town, are they going to be offering their own bootleg version of your class without paying, paying for it? I mean, there's there, unfortunately there are people out there like that. Um, You know, it's basically, even if you're just watching the class, you're learning something, Uh you know? And so I'm not big on unpaid looky-loos, you know, generally at a minimum half price, if you're going to watch and not participate, just because there's so much information you're going to get from just watching the class that uh, you have to be careful. It's, I try to give credit and explain, Hey, I paid for all this knowledge one way or another. I, I paid the person that I got it from for the knowledge. And I'm going to tell you that I got it from them and I'm not going to pretend like I came up with it on my own. If it's not mine. Right. And uh, I think that's important. I think it's, I think it's good to acknowledge your sources and uh, particularly if you're still capable of hosting those sources and, allowing them to, uh, you know, come in and work with your students, right? So I still host Tom Givens. I've taken a bazillion courses from, from Tom and the same token. It's like, well, you know, I, I want my students to learn from Tom. I want to get as close to the root of the tree as possible with the training. So, you know, come take my classes. Okay. Now you're ready for a Tom class. When Tom comes in, then he doesn't have a bunch of mess to deal with, right? He can get to the good stuff and the students that show up, we already know they're at a minimum level and then they're, they're ready. They're ready for the next thing. And uh, it works out good for everybody. I think in a system like that. Yeah. That, that's how I built my agency's instructor class was through hosting the people that I wanted them to learn from. Right. And then it wasn't just me trying to spread the gospel was they all became believers and they're all helping spread. And now we've gotten that down to line level personnel taking some of the classes and you know it permeates the entire agency more so than just the instructor staff we're trying to build layers easier to be an expert when you leave town right yes that is true what it is about leaving the county line but all of a sudden you're you gain credibility and expertise that you didn't have at home yeah we've got a fairly new deputy that uh i I was working with her on something the other day and she, she she, she looked at me and she said, wow, that, 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 that makes sense. You know, you should be teaching classes at the state or national level. I'm like, well, <laughs> I do just nobody here pays attention to that. Right. <laughs> you know, um, uh, one thing that I would like to say on behalf of instructors everywhere, uh, I regularly see this in social media uh, because I follow a lot of the other instructors pages and stuff too. And it's like, so when are you bringing your class to X? And it's like, folks, I can't just call some range in, you know, Topeka, Kansas and say, hey, I'm Lee Williams and I'm coming to teach a class at your place in September. I need this weekend free. That's not how it works. Actually, uh, some trainers do that. Well, you know, I guess if it's, if, it's, if it's a facility that's available for rent, yeah, then yes, but it still takes a local host to drive the classes unless you're like a huge big name with millions of people following your pages and stuff yeah well commercial ranges there are commercial ranges that simply host trainers and they do it purely you know as a revenue thing like we got these two bays over here and we want to keep them full every weekend (laughs) with traveling trainer classes and so you know there are places like that 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 do that um it depends i mean like in my case 
uh, I'm kind of in the same mode that you're in. I, I have stuff going on here that I'm not, I'm not interested at this point in my career in being on the road 50 weeks a year. Right. People that are, I have great respect for them because it is a very hard life and uh, much more stressful, I think, than, you know, than my case where I have my own place and at you know, worst, it's a 50 mile drive to get from, you know, my, my house in Bryan to the range. And, uh, you know, it's nice. It's nice to have the, the ability to do that and be one of those homebound people. Um, but the majority of the training market now is traveling trainers. And you, it's hard to be, get a national reputation without traveling. And so it is good to travel some. Right. And uh, but, yeah, trying to book classes generally, like in my case, if somebody invites me, I, I do my best to find a way to go. And uh, but I don't go out and chase down trying to get hosted. But there are trainers that do. I get calls every month. I get I get people. Everybody's, you know, Latin word tactical, last name tactical. You know, I just got out of such and such unit and I'm trying yeah. to, I want to, I want to make a six figure salary as a traveling trainer, like all these other people. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, I got bad news for you, bro. You know, you get in line that, yeah. uh, that uh, there's a lot of people that, that uh, are chasing that dream, not realizing uh, how few people achieve that dream and how hard it can be to make that happen. Cause yeah. even if they schedule the class, it's like, well, nobody knows who you are. And why would they come train with you? And why would they come train with you versus 18 right. other people with your same background? They right. called me last month, you know? Sure. All right. Well, Carl, is there anything that I didn't ask you about this topic that I should have? Gosh, I don't, I couldn't begin to guess. Uh, you know, training is good. I would say anything that gets people out the range to practice is good. And there's a lot of good people in the training industry. If I sound negative, uh, don't take it that way. There's a lot of good folks to work with. There's a lot of good trainers, a lot of good courses. Vast majority of stuff that's out there is good and credible and from reputable, sincere people that do a good job. So, uh, but, you know, like Ronald Reagan said, trust, but verify if you're a course uh -huh. host, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, uh, try to mix it up. If you host other people, try to rotate new faces in uh -huh. and uh, try to, because if you gain a reputation as a course host, you want, you want some people that you bring in, you know, the same people, maybe every two or three years in a cycle. And then you want some new faces, try some new people out. And, uh, you know, variety, variety is good variety, just for the sake of variety. Let me bring in this weird guy that does stuff that nobody else does. Uh, maybe, you know, unless their stuff actually works. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say bring somebody in just for variety's sake, if their stuff isn't legit. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say, folks, it's not as simple as saying, you know what, I want to be a firearms instructor and just throwing up a web page and expecting your classes to fill. Uh, there's a lot more work that goes into it behind the scenes, and it takes relationships with course, uh, excuse me, with course hosts uh, and facilities to be able to have access to teach classes. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, unless you've got the financial wherewithal to go build your own range and bring people in, uh, you're at the mercy of other people. So um, uh, do your best to cultivate good relationships so that you have places to go teach the classes and then you got to have a great product. Um, you know, as more and more states move to where we should be with not requiring you to step through state level uh, bureaucracies to get a, to get a license or a permit, you're going to have to have a, a product that attracts people. And uh, I guess I'm going to get off my soapbox on that, but um yeah, it's, shooting is it, fun. Never yeah. forget, uh, you'll sell yeah. more classes. 
telling people that shooting and coming to classes is fun than telling them it's good for them. People have been telling me it's good for me to go to the gym for years and years and years, and that does not motivate me to go to the gym. Uh, it's just like eating vegetables or eating seafood or whatever, all that stuff you're supposed to do that's good for you. Uh, telling people it's good for you does not is not a marketing campaign. Telling them they're going to die if they don't, don't come to class, not an effective marketing campaign. Yeah, I saw a uh, uh, thing on a locally based forum that popped up here last week. They're asking about a new company that's that started announcing classes. And I looked on the company's, all their instructors' bios, and it was all state level uh, carry permit instructor and NRA classes, but they're offering force on force and tactical pistol and, you know, room clearing. And okay, what in your background? Yeah, yeah have. When, when, when have they taken that training? Never mind right. instructor level certification in that stuff. Right. You know, if you've been on a SWAT team for 10 years and you got NRA basic pistol, okay, maybe you're still qualified to teach that class. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just going out and getting a basic handgun certification, you know, handgun certified instructors, just not. When what they're going to find if yeah. they try to get from the business side, right? Insurance, and we didn't talk about this. This is the one mm-hmm. you asked me. Insurance, insurance, insurance. Understand that if you if you are an instructor and you have liability insurance, it does not cover people that work with you, and it does not cover people that you host. And the people that you host need to have their own insurance. And if you own a facility, they need to make sure that your facility is covered under their insurance when they're working at your facility, because it's all fun and games until somebody shoots themselves in the leg or something else happens, and all of a sudden, you know. Well, if you're not teaching the class, then your insurance may not cover any of their claims. Right. And so, uh, again, just because somebody has a web page, uh, right, for example, force on force, uh, trying to get insurance to do force on force, uh-huh. uh, if they think their NRA policy is going to cover them for force on force, on force, they're going to be very surprised when mm-hmm. the lawsuit comes and they find out that they're not covered. And when they're running force on force without any kind of certification as a force on force instructor, then again, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's another problem. Yep. Right. They're teaching carbine classes and their NRA basic pistol instructors. Um, you know, nobody thinks about that. Everybody just sees the dollar signs. All they mm-hmm. Everybody's like, Oh, I can make, you know, make a hundred K a year teaching these classes and they run the numbers and they go, Oh, look, I just need to do this and this and this and everything is gravy. Uh, yeah. There's more to it than that. And occasionally right. things do go wrong. And uh, it's terrible when it does. I've never had that happen, you know, knock on wood, but uh, it takes a lot of work to make sure things, bad things don't happen. Right. Yeah. And all it takes is one lawsuit to make everything you've achieved in the business go away. Absolutely. All right, Carl, what you got coming up with KR training? Um, Well, I'm going to Virginia, going to John Murphy's place in Culpeper, Virginia for a force on force course and an advanced handgun live fire course and uh, doing some private lessons while I'm up there. If anybody wants to do them on the weekdays while I'm up in the area and gosh, krtraining.com. I got classes every weekend. I'm hosting Gabe White. I'm hosting Masada Ayub. I'm hosting Brian Hill. Uh, got my own program going, Force on Force, Live Fire, all kinds of stuff happening. Uh, Paul Martin's teaching a two-day preparedness weekend, including a one-day medical class from an army medical doctor. So uh, we got lots going on. We got video on demand on Vimeo. People can download for a few dollars and watch on preparedness. And I've got, uh, got a book. John Dobbs got a free ebook out and we're working on another print book. Hopefully they have out this fall. So All right. not a lot. Just <laughs> yeah. 
and he, you do that professional musician thing several nights a week too yeah so I, I did play four gigs this weekend i played friday mm -hmm. saturday and two on sunday for the fourth of july um uh, so yeah i have that that yeah. thing going on too that's carl wren music.com for the diehards yeah. uh, or carl wren music on uh, youtube you can see what i do when i'm not shooting guns all righty uh carl thanks for dropping by and uh offering your advice and i'm that wings guy for first person safety